doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Emily about late-stage Lyme disease. Lyme disease is caused by a tick bite, which transmits a bacterial infection into the human body from the Borrelia bacteria. There are actually four different species of Borrelia that can transmit Lyme disease. Lyme disease tick bites are often associated with the bullseye rash. And if you notice that you've been bit by a tick and you develop this rash, go to the hospital. (laughs) Get checked out because you can actually treat Lyme disease right away and it will completely leave your body if you go on antibiotics right away. But if you don't, it can turn into chronic Lyme or even late stage Lyme disease like what Emily has. What that means is that Emily didn't know that she had Lyme disease and didn't treat for it for about 20 years. If left untreated, Lyme disease can cause a whole host of problems, including joint pain, neurological issues, heart problems, liver inflammation, severe fatigue, and even eye inflammation. Lyme disease is most common on the East Coast of North America. So if you aren't on the East Coast and you get Lyme disease, it can be really hard to find out that you have it because a lot of doctors won't even check for it. And that's exactly what happened to Emily. The story that she shares today is really incredible. It's a very moving story because she did eventually find a diagnosis and enter into treatment and she is now in remission. And it made such a massive difference in her life. So I'll let her speak to that because she does a really beautiful job of describing what she went through. So we're going to get into that in just a couple minutes. Before we get to that, I wanted to update you on my health situation because I've had some really interesting tests that I had done recently that I wanted to tell you about. Some tests that I've never experienced before, never even really heard of before, and I always like to share when I experience something medically interesting that might pertain to people who are a part of this community that listen to this podcast. So for the better part of a year, I've been trying to figure out what's going on with my abnormal copper levels. Uh, I've talked about this a few times on the show, but basically my ceruloplasmin and copper levels have been off for quite a while, ever since we first thought to look for them. My rheumatologist was the first person to think to check my copper levels and discovered that my ceruloplasmin and copper were abnormal, and they are both low. So I ended up seeing a hepatologist and learned that when both your ceruloplasmin and copper are low, it could indicate that you actually have high copper, which can be a sign of Wilson's disease, which is a copper accumulation in your body, which can cause all of the symptoms that I have been living with for so long. But unfortunately, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what your copper levels are in that situation. And I still don't know for sure if my copper levels are too high or too low. I've actually had genetic testing done for Wilson's disease and for non-Wilson's copper processing issues, and they were not able to find any problems in my genetic testing. So I was told several times at this point that I don't have Wilson's disease. But we still need to get to the bottom of what's wrong with my copper issues. So I actually talked to my hepatologist and she said that sometimes you can still be diagnosed with Wilson's disease even if you don't have the genetic markers because they think there still might be undiscovered genetic markers for Wilson's disease. You need to have four criteria to be diagnosed with Wilson's disease. And the three that I have is abnormal copper levels, abnormal ceruloplasmin levels, and neurological symptoms. So I was only one diagnostic criteria away from being diagnosed and actually knowing what's going on in my body and starting treatment. So we tried a couple things. We looked in my eyes for something called Kaiser Fleischer rings, which is actually a visible accumulation of copper in your eyes. And I did not have that. 
My hepatologist did a test called a liver elastography, which is sort of like an ultrasound of the liver to look for liver damage, and I didn't have that either. And of course, the genetic testing, which came back negative. So to, if I'm remembering correctly, there's only two more criteria that we have yet to test. One of them is a liver biopsy, and I really don't want to do that the, uh, for obvious reasons. The other one is called the penicillamine challenge, where you are given a dose of penicillamine, which is what's called a chelator for copper, which means it binds to copper. It's a medication that helps bind to copper and helps it flush it out of your body. So you take penicillamine and you collect your urine for 24 hours to see if your copper levels go up in your urine. So during this test, if you see a lot of copper coming out in your urine, then that actually is a sign that your blood copper is very high. And that could actually mean that I might still be diagnosed with Wilson's disease because that would give me four criteria. But we ran into a problem, which is that when I was a baby, I was determined to be allergic to penicillin because um, I had a little bit of a weird reaction to penicillin and my dad is very allergic. So my doctor decided at the, when I was a baby that it would be unsafe for me to ever take penicillin. And I've lived my entire life thinking that I was allergic to penicillin. And the penicillamine challenge for Wilson's disease, that penicillamine is actually a derivative of penicillin, so I might be allergic to it. So I couldn't do this test, which was extremely frustrating. Uh, so what I actually did is I waited for months to see an allergist to determine if I'm still allergic to penicillin. And I finally had the opportunity to do that this week. And this was really interesting to me. I, I didn't really know what to do if you wanted to check if you're allergic to a medication. I didn't know how that worked. So I went in for this appointment and what they did is they basically, first they inject a little bit under your skin of penicillin and then wait for about 20 minutes to see if you have a reaction on your skin. And I did not. I actually posted a picture to the Major Pain Instagram of my arm after having all of the injections of the penicillin and the uh, control substances under my arm. So if you want to see that, it's at Major Pain Podcasts on Instagram. So the next step is to give me a little bit of oral penicillin. Uh, so they squirt some in my mouth and I swallow it. And then we waited for another half hour to see if I felt okay. And I did. So then they give me another big dose of penicillin and I wait for a full hour to see if I'm going to have a reaction. And I didn't have a reaction. So my new allergist has determined that I'm not actually allergic to penicillin. I've gone my whole life thinking that I was allergic, but I learned a couple things that are really interesting. One is that uh, babies often grow out of penicillin allergies or just medication allergies in general. Something that you're allergic to as a baby, you might not be allergic to as you grow older. The other thing is that uh, penicillamine or just drug, aller drug allergies in general are apparently not genetic. That's something I didn't know either. I think that this is something that uh, in the past doctors used to think that medication allergies were genetic, but according to the allergist I just saw, that's not true. So we've now determined that I can do the penicillamine challenge, and I've written to my hepatologist and said, hey, let's do this, I'm ready, and I'm just waiting to hear back. So it could happen this week. I could do this test this week, and if it comes back that I have a lot of copper in my urine, I might get diagnosed this week, which is crazy to think about. I mean, I don't even want to think about it too much because it really might not happen or I could find out that they want to do a liver biopsy. <laughs> you know, there's really some extremes that could happen this week. But one of them is that I might get a diagnosis. I mean, that, that's almost too much to hope for because every, every step of this process has been so excruciating that it doesn't seem like anything's happened easily. And if I were to find out I got a diagnosis from this test, it would just, I would be, I, I don't even know what I would be. But it could happen this week. 
And if I don't hear back from the hepatologist, and if I haven't had this test done in a week's time, I'll be angry. <laughs> I'm so sick of waiting. Everything is just waiting and waiting and waiting. So another part of living with an undiagnosed disease is being unsure of what symptoms are worth pursuing and which uh, specialists are worth seeing. Because I have a lot of weird things going on in my body, like smaller things that could be a sign of something else going on or could be a part of my undiagnosed disease or could be completely unrelated. And I just never know which ones to pursue. One of those issues is that I've been having some urinary problems recently. Um, I feel a little awkward talking about this, but so many of my guests have been so comfortable talking about these sorts of things. I'm just going to try to push through it and talk about this, frankly. Um, so yeah, so I've been having some urinary issues, some issues emptying my bladder, um, sort of like positional issues where I can no longer empty my bladder in certain positions that used to be normal for me. So I went to see a urologist, and the first urologist I saw had no idea what to do with me and did some preliminary tests and says, I'm going to send you to the guy who likes the weirder cases. So, um, and to do that, she wanted me to do a test called a urodynamics test, um, basically testing the dynamics of your uh, urinary system, seeing how everything works. And I didn't really want to do this test because it sounded awful. <laughs> I really didn't want to do it. I felt like, I, I actually, I struggled with this choice of whether or not to do this test. You know, I scheduled it right away and then struggled for a month to decide whether or not to cancel it because it sounded so awful. Because I was weighing these two things against each other. One, if I can get a diagnosis of Wilson's disease or some other copper processing issue and start treatment, it's very likely that all of these other small issues are going to go away. But if I can't get a diagnosis, then we kind of need to get the ball rolling on figuring out what's going on. Because if I'm having urinary problems, if they're getting worse, that could be a sign of something more serious. So I really just, I was kind of frozen with indecision and didn't cancel the test and then ended up doing it yesterday um, and got to meet this other urologist who's interested in the more, you know, extreme cases or the more hard to diagnose cases. And it was just an awful experience. It was so awful. <laughs> <laughs> a urodynamics test is one of the most uncomfortable experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Um, you know, I was talking in an episode that has yet to come out about how a, a colonoscopy had been my previous worst testing experience. Uh, and of course, that nerve conduction test that I've talked about before was really rough. But man, urodynamics was rough. So this is a little graphic, but they catheterize you Um through your urethra and through your anus. So you have a catheter in both ends and then they fill your bladder with liquid and you, you know, just kind of tell them when you feel full and when you feel like you really have to go and then you have to empty your bladder and they measure uh, the pressure in your bladder as you're emptying your bladder. So I, I've never been catheterized while awake. I think I was catheterized for a, a surgery that I had for in my sinuses over a year ago. Um, where I was, you know, put under anesthesia. So I didn't have to experience being catheterized. And they had to do it like four or five times in, during this test. And oh my God, it was just so awful. I, <laughs> it's like my new least favorite thing to do. And I was thinking back to my conversation with Summer about neuromyelitis optica, where she was talking about having to self-cath because uh, she has a neurogenic bladder. And that's one of the things they tested me for. And I was thinking about that when I went through this experience, you know, it kind of gave me some strength as I had to be catheterized over and over. And they had an issue with the first catheter they used and had to use a different type and had to do it more times than they were expecting to. 
because of just the shape of my, you know, body and the shape of all the tubes and everything down there. So, oh, it was just awful. And then the doctor was with a patient. So, the nurse got me all set to go, got all the catheters in, and then I'm just like sitting up on this table and just in so much pain and discomfort um, and just kind of turning pale because I was so uncomfortable. And you got to remember that, you know, I have a lot of lower body weakness, so I use a wheelchair and I was like up in these stirrups, just holding myself up in this position. And I started turning pale because we're waiting for so long. So, she had to like adjust me and put a, a washcloth on my forehead to cool me down. And it, it was just really awful. And I had to wait for about like 20 or 30 minutes after being prepped for the test, um, which no one was expecting. I think like the other appointment just went long. And that just really made the experience kind of twice as bad as I think it would have been otherwise. But the doctor finally came in and we did the test and determined uh, that everything seems to be functioning functioning normally, but it looks like I might be having some weakness in the pelvic floor muscles. So, honestly, it's like, it was really frustrating for me because this is kind of the outcome that I expected, which was, you know, you seem to be having some weakness in your muscles down there, which we already know because I'm using a freaking wheelchair because I'm having weakness in my legs. They could see that when I was trying to pee, I was flexing these muscles and nothing would happen. And they had to sort of reposition me and try a bunch of times until I was finally able to pee. And then everything worked normally. Um, so based off of my symptoms and you know what they could see on the test, the doctor is guessing that I have some weakness happening. Uh, in my pelvic floor muscles. So, yeah, so it kind of freaked me out a little bit, you know, like um, having the weakness in my legs is one thing because it is intermittent. I can walk sometimes, but having weakness in muscles that I don't have as much control over um, kind of freaked me out because, you know, I because I don't know what I have, I don't know if it's degenerative, I don't know if I need to go to physical therapy for my pelvic floor muscles or not, I'm, you know, I've decided to wait at this point. That was his only recommendation. There are no, there's no treatment uh, besides physical therapy to try to strengthen those muscles. Um, but I've decided just to wait because if I get a diagnosis this week, it's not, none of this is going to matter, you know, and I never would have needed to do this test because if I get a diagnosis um, and go on treatment, these issues should just hopefully start to get better. And I even mentioned this to the nurse after the test, how I kind of wish that I had not done that test today because it was so uh, traumatic. But, you know, she made the point that, you know, it's really important to know what's going on, especially if you might have something degenerative. So, it is a good thing that I did it. You know, we did get a little bit of information from it that might be helpful. You know, today I'm feeling a lot better and I, I'm recovered from my experience. It only took a few hours to feel better. And, you know, I don't know. I guess it's I guess it's a good thing that I did it. And in the meantime, I've now developed a very serious catheter phobia. I just never want to do that again. And I really feel for anyone out there who uh, uses a catheter as part of their daily life. I know there's a lot of people out there that need that. I know that you kind of get used to it over time. And maybe it's better doing it to yourself than having a nurse, you know, shove it up four or five times in a row. But yeah, it was it was a rough experience. So Eurodynamics, not a fan, would not recommend. 
Anyway, so last week we had our episode with Laura about social anxiety, and Sick Faye Queen has commented on Instagram on that episode. She explains it so beautifully and perfectly. So proud of both her and Jesse. And I just really appreciated that. Thank you, Sick Faye Queen. I really, I really agree that Laura explained it so beautifully what living with social anxiety is like, and her list of tips was very comprehensive and very actionable. So I'm really excited about that episode. For anyone dealing with social anxiety, I highly recommend last week's episode. And the week before that, we spoke with Elizabeth about histamine intolerance. And I post, I try to post a clip every week on TikTok of our guests on the podcast. And I posted a clip where Elizabeth was talking about being the exception to the rule in the medical diagnosis and how hard it can be to get a diagnosis when you are the exception to the rule. Because doctors aren't often willing to even consider that you might be the exception when they're looking at a diagnosis. And we got some really interesting comments on TikTok about that. Here's one from Punkasaurus sarcoidosis. I am the exception to the rule, and it made me probably miss a diagnosis for 20 years. And that's so similar to what we're talking about today with Emily, how she had this 20-year gap in being bit by a tick and finally getting diagnosed with Lyme disease. And then end pain stigma comments, I am the 0.00004%, also known as the unicorn. When I dreamed of being unique as a kid, this is not what I had in mind. It nearly killed me, but thank God I learned how to outstubborn my mother so I know knew how to outstubborn doctors. This just goes back to what we talk about all the time on this show about advocating for yourself and continuing to push for a diagnosis when doctors continue to tell you that they don't think anything is wrong. I'm getting more concerned about medical gaslighting the more episodes of this show that I make. We'll talk about it again today with Emily, about how it was actually extremely traumatic for her and caused some PTSD to be gaslit by doctors telling her over and over, you know, this is all in your head. This is just a migraine. This is nothing to worry about when she had Lyme disease. So this is a problem. This is a real problem. It's something I've experienced over and over again. And it's going to be a consistent theme on this show where I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep sharing stories where other people are talking about it happening to them because it just really means a lot to me. I feel like this is a really important issue because people are spending their entire lives sick because doctors are unwilling to consider that they might have something rare. But I I am so happy to be hearing back from people that this podcast is um, helping them in their lives or is helping with their perspective, helping them to feel like it's okay to advocate for themselves in the medical system. That really means so much to me. Every time I get a, a piece of feedback, it really means a lot. So don't forget, you can always email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to share something with me or even with the podcast. I love getting emails and I'd love to share anything that you have to say. You can always reach out on our uh, social media accounts on TikTok and Instagram at Major Pain Podcast. I think I'm going to do away with the Major Pain Pod Twitter. I've started it about three or four weeks ago, and we're sitting at four followers. And you know, I'm stretching myself a little bit thin as far as everything I'm doing with the podcast. So I feel like you know, Twitter is not really seeming to bring in new listeners. So I'm just going to let that go. That's totally fine. I really feel great about all the connections that I've been making through Instagram and TikTok. And I feel like that, that is plenty right now. Um, but if you have ways that you can help me support this show, help to share it in particular, that's the thing that is the hardest with the podcast is helping to get the word out. So if you are willing to share the podcast 
in any community or something that you're a part of with chronic illness, I really always appreciate that. And of course, one of the best ways to support this podcast is to help it financially because I have no income besides what I'm making from content creation. Uh, I have applied to disability, I've had my medical examination, and I'm at the final stage waiting to hear if I'm going to get disability. And I finally started to let myself fantasize about it a little bit because I've had no income for, o- for over five years at this point. And just the thought of having any money <laughs> to buy anything would just be amazing. I mean, I'm just still relying on friends and family, and I am on um, uh, uh, food stamps here in Seattle, so um, EBT card, so my my food is covered, and my friends and family are helping me to pay my rent, and that's it. I don't have spending money. You know, I don't buy things for fun, and whenever I do, it's because I have to ask someone else, uh, you know, is this okay if I use this money that you're helping to support me with for this thing? And I'm just sick of it. I, I really... I miss having an income so much. (laughs) And that's why it means so much to me when people sign up on Patreon to help support the show. Um, Extra special thank you to Steve Cavanaugh, our Patreon producer, who is going above and beyond to help to make sure that this show continues to happen. Stay tuned at the end of the show for all of our Patreon thank yous. Um, I thank everyone individually who's our $7 patron level and our $25 a month producer level. And of course, we do have our plans starting at just $2 per month if you'd like to just support the show if you're not worried about being thanked in every episode, but you just want to throw a little bit of money towards helping to make sure this show continues to happen, that's the best way to do it on Patreon, patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. So, of course, I will keep you updated, but I could find out any day that I've gotten on disability, and I could also find out any day that I have a diagnosis this week. So, this is an intense week for me. Wish me luck. All right. With that said, we're going to jump into our fantastic episode with Emily. Um, I really, I really felt emotionally connected to this episode just because I was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease at one point, and hearing about Emily getting her diagnosis and being able to do things again was really powerful. I'll even talk about this later on in the episode where I had this moment of jealousy, where I was like, "Wow, this is what I want," uh, and it was just so powerful to hear someone who has gone through it, talk about it, especially someone so eloquent with such an incredible story. So let's get into our discussion with Emily about late-stage Lyme disease. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. You're another person that I connected with through TikTok, um, Mm -hmm. which is such a powerful platform to connect people um, going through similar things in the world. So I'm really excited to, to hear your story and to get to know you a little bit today. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I was so inspired by your page. It came up on my For You page, actually. So glad we could meet. And yeah, thank you. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited. So Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So um, I, my name's Emily. I am right now a future adoptive mom. I'm waiting to adopt a child. And I have started doing YouTube and I do makeup and tea live streams. So I love everything creative. Um, My background is in television and film. And so I was a producer for television and film and commercials. And I also was a camera person for TV for eight years. So yeah, just anything creative, my heart is there 100%. Awesome. And Um, chronic illness impacted my career change to do YouTube and to explore live streaming with tea time and makeup. And 
uh, I absolutely love it. But I, there are times when I miss, you know, the old days on set. But wow, it yeah. sounds like we have a lot of really similar interests. I mean, I yeah, I do content creation, obviously, but I also love tea. <laughs> you do? What's, your, what's your favorite tea? Cheers. Oh, man, I love so many kinds of tea. But one of my favorite things is to make chamomile mm. in the evening and add almond milk, honey, and a little bit of vanilla. And it's called comfort tea. And it's just so refreshing. But yeah, I um, one of my favorite things with drinking tea with people online is the chance to drink tea with people in other countries and mm. hear their culture with tea. And um, I actually just it's so sad everything with Afghanistan, but just a few weeks ago, somebody sent me a selfie making tea from a campfire in Afghanistan, you know, like they're in the desert wow. and it just was so enduring and so, so thoughtful. And just that tea is something that brings people together around the world is a huge passion in my life. So, yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a big green tea drinker. I've got my, my tea tray over here just off. <laughs> Off screen in my my green tea. I love it so much. I have yeah. green tea pretty much every morning. Tea is so good. Yeah. yeah, totally. Everyone's always all up about coffee, and coffee's great, but I feel like tea is very often overlooked. I think there's like a ritual around tea that I find so comforting and relaxing. Yeah, it's so refreshing, and just I, I'm really inspired by how different parts of the world it is universally a thing that brings people together and. If I could, I would learn every tea ceremony, everything about it in these different mm. parts of the world, just because it's fascinating to me. But yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. And I'm also, you know, very interested in filmmaking, cinematography. That's amazing that you are a, a camera operator. That's so cool. I mean, there's so Thank much you. Yeah. to know. There's so much knowledge that you need to work on a film set. That's very impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I definitely have been a person that when there is something I want to do creatively, I give my hundred percent into it and I'll have a ton of obstacles, but I will make it work as much as I'm able to with what I have on that day. Um, yeah, totally. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into this a little bit. I want to learn about yeah, your sure. health journey. I mean, I know just a little bit, but I'm, I'm so curious to dive into this. So Emily, what is your major pain? My major pain is late stage Lyme disease. I also have Hashimoto's pot syndrome and complex PTSD. But the main thing I would love to talk about today is my journey to get diagnosed with late stage Lyme disease, to be treated, and to finally find remission for the first mm. time since I was 11 years old. Wow. Yeah, I'm so excited about this because I we were talking just before we started recording, but there was a period in my journey where I was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease, and I spent mm -hmm. a year treating for Lyme disease. Uh, and I went really deep down the rabbit hole online before, you know, getting some second opinions and discovering that, you know, every other doctor did not think that I had it. Um, yeah. So, I I have some complicated feelings about Lyme and I'm really excited to talk to somebody who actually has, you know, uh, as you say, late stage Lyme disease. And can you define that for me? Because I've, I've heard, you know, a lot of people talk about Lyme as, in terms of chronic Lyme. Can you tell me about late stage Lyme? Is that similar? Yes. So, um, basically for me, it means I've had it for most of my life. Um, I am 35 years old right now. I got my bullseye rash and my tick bite when I was 11 years old. Wow. It took me 20 years to get a doctor to listen to me. Wow. To find out what was going on. 
I was misdiagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I was um, told I have ADD. I was told it was depression, maybe. I was told so many things. And my life completely turned around about six years ago when I finally got to get care. Wow. And so that is a message I hope I can share with people today is don't give up. Mm-hmm. Hold on to hope and believe in yourself and what you know about yourself. Because there are so many people who won't listen. But you know, you know yourself and your story, and it deserves to be heard. Wow. So, well yeah. said. I mean, that gave me chills because I'm in the same boat. You know, I, I've experienced that over and over. Doctors not listening and having to keep yeah. pushing and keep pushing. And it's, it's so hard to keep pushing because it is. when doctors tell you over and over, well, I don't think there's anything medically happening here. And there's nothing that I can help you with. It's just soul crushing to hear that over and over again. But what I loved about what you said is, is hold on to what you know about yourself. Um, yeah. I really relate to that. Can you tell me a little bit before you went into remission, what, what sort of symptoms were you having with, um, with Lyme disease? Yeah. So, I, I think if you met me seven years ago, you would not believe we were the same person. <laughs> I have the same face and everything, of course, but I was not able to control my face very well. Um, for example, my entire life since I was a little kid, taking pictures, like if somebody told me to smile for the camera, I didn't know how to smile on commands. Um, a lot of people teased me and said I had a poker face. You know, people often talked about they couldn't tell what I was thinking because I didn't know how to be animated in my face. Hmm. So that's one thing I went through. Wow. I also have suffered from short-term memory loss for the majority of my life until recently, until the last few years. Wow. So I would be locking the door to my house during college days and I would forget, I would not remember the process of putting the key in the door and knowing if I locked it. So I would check it and I would lock it again. And then I would do that again. And I've had my roommate tell me, Emily, you just did that four times. Do you realize that? <laughs> I feel like I just couldn't remember that process and I wanted to be sure the house was locked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through that. And during my time in grade school and high school and in my um, time in college, I was homeschooled, by the way, up until age 18. I had a very difficult time with reading and that impacted my ability to thrive in school. So I would be reading a paragraph and I would get through the second sentence of a paragraph and I would forget what I had just read. And so I would have to read it over again. I believe that has to do with my short-term memory issue I had as well, but I actually had to go through the same math course three times in a row because I wasn't able to retain the information. Wow. I used to have seizures and that happened later in my life. I didn't have that as a kid, but as I was in my early 20s, I started getting seizure-like episodes where I felt like I was being electrocuted. Um, it felt like um, like being zapped like on your arm or your leg. It felt sometimes like a bug is crawling under your skin. It's just sometimes it felt like being electrocuted in my head and it would just happen out of nowhere. And I couldn't predict it. And then I would just be really tired afterwards. And um, so for a time I was misdiagnosed with epilepsy and I was on epilepsy medication for three years. Hmm. I, one day um, I'm a very ambitious person. So I have never 
had a driver's license because of my condition. My difficulty with memory impacted when I was trying to train to learn how to drive and just a bunch of other factors. But I would walk for an hour to get to this internship I had at a local magazine because I really wanted to thrive. I was at the magazine one day. I had this like social media internship with them and I lost my eyesight. Wow. It lasted for probably 20 minutes. I don't remember exactly, but I had to tell somebody near me. I said, Raphael, I can't see anything. And he was like, what? And he didn't understand. Um, I was so embarrassed that day. I didn't want to lose my job because that job would have elevated into a marketing position that paid really well if I had thrived there. Hmm. So I didn't tell them all the depth of what I was going through. I ended up leaving early. I called my friends and I went to ER and I ended up having to stay in the hospital for two weeks for seizure testing and everything. Wow. Right after that time in the hospital, I was still so humiliated. I could not give up the opportunity I had to work at the magazine. I didn't mention to them all the depth of what I just had gone through with the two weeks in the hospital of brain testing and scans and all that. And I ended up being fired from my internship because she said I just wasn't present enough. Hmm. I also went through a lot of difficulty with writing, like writing anything. Like my handwriting was like chicken scratch. It was really messy. That is something that has changed. My handwriting is actually really good right now. Wow. Um, but I was amazed to learn that is a symptom of Lyme disease that people go through sometimes is that, um, I don't know what causes it exactly, but it's a neurological thing where um, you're trying to get words on a page and you're just not fully there to be able to write clearly. And um, I was so moved when I learned that um, this author, Amy Tan, have you heard of her? Mm -mm. Okay. She wrote the Joy Luck Club. Oh, She's of a, course. Yeah. Okay. She's a best-selling author. Um, she shared that she had Lyme disease as well and that she showed it inside of her notebook. And it also had messy handwriting. She said, this is when I was in the midst of that battle. Mm. And I was like, man, I really feel hurt here. I feel like somebody <laughs> gets it. Yeah. What really caused things to change dramatically for me was when I lost my walking ability. Mm -hmm. um, it was, let's see, around 2013. And um, one day I woke up and there was severe swelling in both of my feet and I didn't know why. And the bottom of my feet hurt immensely. It felt like walking on nails and I didn't understand. I ended up seeing a foot doctor for that. And at first he thought I had plantar fasciitis. Mm -hmm. um, he sent me to physical therapy for that, which I did for about almost a year. And the physical therapist told me, she said, Emily, I just don't know. Uh, I don't think this is what is going on with you because you're just not getting any better. At that point in time, um, I was in a wheelchair um, for about three years total. Mm. Um, I got married in a wheelchair. Actually, my brother helped me walk down the aisle, but the rest of the day I was in the wheelchair because it was so difficult. Um, I also had remarks from my neurologist neurologist that it looked like a neurological issue, like my gait was kind of crooked or weird or something. 
But to this day, I still don't know exactly what was going on with that, except the physical therapist who was treating me happened to work in the same office as a nutritionist who fought Lyme disease. Hmm. And they were talking one day and she says, I have this patient. I just don't know how to help her. She, she's not able to walk and like, we can't figure out what's going on with her. My therapy's not helping her. And um, it is kind of a miracle because they were talking, they were coworkers and she said, well, I wonder if it's Lyme disease. And that just brought me back to remembering having my bullseye rash as an 11 year old and all the trouble I had in school and everything else. And it completely changed my life. Wow. So <laughs> you just had yeah. this moment where it all came together. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who's unfamiliar with Lyme disease, it is a bacterial infection caused by a tick bite. Um, and, and like like you said, there's this sort of stereotypical bullseye rash um, that you'll notice after having the tick bite. And you said you were 11 years old when that happened. What part of the country were you in when you were bit? I lived on a buffalo farm in Kansas. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, we had this huge field. I would run in. I would pretend to be Pocahontas. <laughs> that was my favorite Disney movie back then. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, ticks are... Not very friendly, even if they look like they're waving at you from a blade of grass, they're not, <laughs> they're not, um, not pleasant to deal with. Um, yeah, I ended up getting a tick bite while I was out running in the field and um, I developed a bullseye rash, which looks like just like the target symbol. Yeah. You know, when you're shopping at target, that symbol, mm -hmm. um, it was on this arm. And it was like, it went from here. Oh, sorry. I don't know if the audio helps, but it was like from here to here. <laughs> yeah. But I so was like a little your, kid. So maybe it was smaller. But like yeah. your upper tricep down to your elbow. Yeah. On your, on your right arm. Yeah. And at the time, there wasn't as much knowledge about Lyme disease, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and my parents did not take me to a doctor. They... Uh, had a dinner planned with somebody who happened to be a medic for the military. And so they asked him to look at it just after dinner. And to this day, I always feel sad about that because I wonder if I had gotten treated when I was a kid, you know, things could have been different. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And also you said you were in Kansas and I, I know from experience that um, Lyme disease is very prevalent on the East coast, but, and a lot of doctors just won't even acknowledge that it's possible to get it if you're not living on the East coast. And I grew yeah. up on the West Coast, so it mm -hmm. wasn't something that doctors were even willing to look at for a long time. Um, and like I said, I was misdiagnosed. Um, yeah. But but I, I feel for you because just not being on the East Coast means that it's not going to be at the front of mind for a lot of doctors. And I never had the rash, you know. I never had a tick bite that I knew of. Um, yeah. I spent some nights outside as a kid and had been covered in bug bites, so it could have happened. But you had the rash, you know, you had the evidence and it is, it is hard to think back and say, wow, what if I could have gone to a doctor? Um, and what if that could have been caught at that point? So a after you had that bite, how long was it until you started developing your symptoms? So it's funny because it was within a couple weeks around the time of that bite, I had a illness where I had a severe fever and I was hallucinating. I saw fish in my bedroom. I was a little kid, you know, I, I was like, mom, I see fish in my room. I, it was like for two days straight, 
where I had a really bad fever and was just really loopy. You know, when you're sick and you just feel really loopy and like with a fever and um, fever dreams and all that. Wow. Um, so I did see a doctor for that, but my mom didn't. I don't believe it was mentioned about my bullseye rash. They just didn't make that connection. So I was given some sort of care for like a flu type situation. But looking back, I think the two were connected because that um, it was around that time when I was around that age that I started having the difficulty in school, hmm. um, particularly with reading and retaining information. I just really struggled. And for a long time, I was told that I was not trying hard enough and that I was lazy. Um, it was around that time, I, at age 11, I started having really bad fatigue. And so I would want to sleep in on a Saturday morning instead of watching cartoons with my brother. And some days that impacted my ability to participate in chores or household things. And sometimes it was just a social gathering. My family wanted to have company for dinner and I just didn't feel the energy. Yeah. Um, I felt like an 80 year old woman, like as a little <laughs> kid. So your symptoms started very quickly. And you know, with Lyme disease, if you take antibiotics right away, it, you can get rid of it. You know, if you take antibiotics for a couple of weeks right after having the rash, um, it, it'll kill it and then it won't live in your body anymore. And there are situations where some people will have it recur later. And there's a lot yeah. of um, science being done around this right now because it's not very well understood. But most people yeah. who have Lyme disease, who discover it right away, who go on antibiotics can be completely fine after. Um, yeah. So what, what do you feel when you think back on that, knowing what you know now? I've had to do a lot of forgiving. Hmm. I've had to do a lot of forgiving. And there are people in my life who feel really sad that they didn't listen then. It's also been a huge identity thing because that was a huge portion of my life where I didn't feel like I could be my true self. Hmm. But I got to say that experience has given me a joy in life and every little thing I can do or every moment I have a good day, I have learned to accept myself and accept what happened to me and be okay with it because I hope that I can help somebody else out there. And I hope that if there is a parent out there whose kid goes through a similar thing, I hope they will be more open to not giving up and finding the answer. So totally, I've learned to be okay with it, but it was a big struggle for me. It was a lot of forgiving I've had to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so hard to advocate for yourself in the medical system as an adult. Yeah. It's really kind of impossible as an 11-year-old. You really need other people to advocate for you. And it, yeah. it's so tough when the information just isn't there, you know? When all the pieces aren't put together, no one knows what direction to go in. No one knows how to advocate for you. And I just keep thinking about, like, if you were on the East Coast, they would have known because it's common there. Doctors know about it there. But yeah, that's yeah. just such a such a rough situation to find yourself in as an 11-year-old. It really was, you know, um, I can't tell you how many times I was withheld from seeing friends or just doing normal things because I was told I wasn't thriving in school. I need to try harder. And yeah, I'll never get those years back, but I'm so grateful. I never gave up on, on believing that 
that my voice mattered, even if people around me didn't feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, I fell in love with doing artwork because that was one thing I could do that was not physically exhausting. <laughs> um, and that was one way to express myself at a time when I didn't have anyone who wanted to listen to me or hear my voice. So I think we all find ourselves in that place where if something gets taken away, we don't want to lose that because there's only one of us, you know, there's only one person like you, only one person like me. And like, we have a lot to offer to the world. And so I think what chronic illness does to so many is it forces you to give all your effort to get your voice out there to be heard. I don't know if that, if that makes sense to you, but like, I just, absolutely, um, yeah, totally. I would not have gotten into drawing and doing art and creative stuff if I hadn't have had so many people not want me to speak and acknowledge my truth. And so, yeah, yeah, I just, so I have a joy in creating that I probably wouldn't have gotten to have otherwise, you know? Yeah. It takes years to find the things that were good, you know, when you're going through something that awful for that long. And you gave us yeah. such a clear picture of how your symptoms progressed over time, you know, from from the from your childhood until your, your late twenties. Um, it sounds like it was just this sort of constant slow decline. So yeah. to have something that holds you together, and for me it's the same, it's creativity, you know, it's expressing myself creatively feels like medicine, you know, and there was, I remember times where I wasn't doing it and I would just get worse overall. And then I'd kind of force myself to get back to making music or whatever I was doing at the time. And, and it really felt like medicine. It it felt like it was helping my body somehow, you know, like that mind body connection, finding things that bring you joy and finding ways to get your, your heart and your mind into your, into yourself and into your positive space is so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I learned um, after I started treating Lyme disease is how dramatic an effect that trauma and uh, stressed emotion can have on your immune system being strong. Mm, Yeah. You know, that's something I'm sure we all have in our minds right now. How can we have a strong immune system? How can we, you know, do well right now in this time when the world is just not doing that good? Mm -hmm. And, um, I really think it's so important whenever we can break away from the the stress and find what makes us who we are, uh, like art, like for you, like you do your podcast and creative things. And um, that is one thing I, I try to encourage all my friends doing chronic, with chronic illness is that they have such amazing voices. Like, I hope they do YouTube. I hope they, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I know so many of us have been um, in uh, almost like in lockdown for a big portion of our lives. Yeah. And now the whole world understands it. Mm-hmm. This is our time to be heard and to, um, you know, I really feel like chronically ill have an advantage right now because we have that long lasting experience of being in a lockdown situation of social isolation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is our chance to encourage the rest of the world um, to to thrive during a time when you don't have access to everything you want in life. 
Uh, I hope that makes sense. But I've been yeah. I've been thinking the same thing. Yeah, when yeah. when the world first shut down, I was like, everyone else is living my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, that was that was such a as weird as it sounds. I found that empowering. It was a healing thing in a strange way because I finally didn't feel alone with that, yeah. and I felt like. Um, I had already been a veteran at it, but I felt like I had a bunch of people who got it finally. And yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're really speaking to something, which is that because we have experience with that, I have been able to help my friends and loved ones who are struggling with these moments of, oh my God, my life has lost all of its meaning. You know, like I, I can't go to work because work is closed. I can't see other people because, because of social isolation protocols. Um, and I, yeah, like you're saying, like when you're chronically ill, you end up doing that a lot because you can't go out and do things. So you end up home all the time. And the way that I found meaning for my life was through creativity and giving myself (laughs) self-imposed, um, deadlines, you know, like I put this show out late Tuesday night. So it's out every Wednesday. Um, and that really helps give my life structure and my health has improved since I've started the show just because I have a little bit of structure, you know, my, my emotional mental health has improved and, and it's all tied together. You know, I keep thinking about this thing from uh, when we had Fowler, Dr. Fowler on a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago on the podcast, a pain scientist. And he was talking about how there, our brains only have one pain center. Um, so you feel emotional pain and physical pain in the same place in your brain. I keep wow. thinking about that. Yeah. About wow. how, how important it is to, to do everything you can to when you have chronic physical pain to alleviate your chronic emotional pain. And they're both pain, you know, they're both a chronic health problem and doctors don't look at it that way, but we have to, because we are the people experiencing it. So yeah, I just found that to be a really profound realization. And I've been really trying to apply it to my life is, you know, find the ways to make myself happy inside of the physical pain that I'm experiencing. Um, it's something I've been working on for years at this point, And I feel like I'm making so much progress with that. And it's just helping my overall life so much. It's like being happy is separate from being um, chronically ill. You know, it, they don't have to be um, like, I used to feel like every day I wake up in pain, I'm going to be unhappy. I used to feel mm-hmm. that way. And yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. It's just incredibly hard to pull those things apart. They're like glued together because our mind and our body are glued together. So finding a way to find that separation and find joy inside of a different life than what you thought you were going to have um, is so hard. And it's really, you're talking about it a lot and I really appreciate it because I really believe in it. You know, this whole thing about finding your creative self and, and leaning into it and finding the things that bring you joy, like tea, you know, having a tea ritual <laughs> tea? in the morning, it's huge. Uh, I'll show you. I just painted this on the iPad and ordered carts. Oh, beautiful! It's and like that a just brought field so much flowers. joy. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a poppy field. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I want to hear yeah, about. I agree with you there. Yeah, for sure. I want to hear about your diagnosis with Lyme disease because I, I, if you don't mind getting into the technical aspect of it a little bit, yeah. I'm very curious about yeah. this because I had a false positive. Uh, Western blot Lyme disease test. Okay. And because okay. I was false positive and we had no other, um, we, we had nothing else to go on because we hadn't discovered my copper level pros- processing, my copper processing problems yet. Um, we decided to pursue it as if it were positive, even though the CDC guidelines said that it was a false positive. So I, 
I know a little bit about, you know, the Western blot, the Lyme disease tests, and I'm just so curious to hear about your experience, if, if that's the test that you did and how you were eventually diagnosed with Lyme. Yeah, I just want to mention really quick, um, the fact that I'm even here talking on a podcast is a miracle because my speech <laughs> used to be so slow. Hmm. It used to be so slow. This is, just blows my mind. But anyway. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So, You're doing fantastic. Thank you. Uh, you too. And um, <laughs> Thank you. When I had that thing happen with my physical therapist mm-hmm. where where she had told me after several months of treating me, she said, Emily, I just don't think this is what you have. I don't think you have plantar fasciitis because we can't help you get better. Um, it was my, um, it was the nutritionist. She invited me to meet the one who happens to work in the same building and they talk to each other during the day at lunch break or something. Um, if they hadn't have had that conversation, I don't know if I ever would have gotten the care I needed. Yeah. Um, the nutritionist, um, invited me to have an appointment with her just to talk about Lyme disease. And she shared a little bit of her story. Um, and she said, based on what you've told me, I am 99% sure you could have it. I want to recommend you to see a Lyme literate, uh, doctor that is super important Hmm. and get tested. And then she wrote down a list of different kinds of tests. Now, that part is a little blurry for me. I don't remember the names of the specific tests, Mm -hmm. she said. And she also recommended something, um, some kind of test to do with antibodies. Um, Yeah, that part of my life, there are blurry parts of that because I was was at my worst. I couldn't walk. I was foggy all the time. Like, yeah. Totally understandable. (laughs) um, So she recommended a doctor in the LA area who is a Lyme literate specialist. I saw him and I just shared my experience and they agreed to do some tests. Um, Oh, let me backtrack a little bit because I forgot about this part. There was another doctor who I saw uh, who did a Lyme test and it did come back negative. I had about Mm. three negative tests actually. Oh, wow. Um, but there are so many variants with Lyme disease that it's really hard to pick up on it. And there's so and, many tests too. Yeah, so many tests. And um, by some miracle, we found this Lyme doctor in Los Angeles area. And I saw him and him and his office. They are the first compassionate doctors hmm. I've ever had towards my condition. And they've changed my life. Um do you need time or do you need to? I'm good. No, I, I, oh, okay. uh, I, I'm twitching a little bit and I, I appreciate it. I know it might be a little distracting and hard to keep your no, train of thought no, going, I, but I'm just having a twitchy day. So I, yeah, I, I'm doing totally okay though. I'm I listening. didn't mention this, but I used to be twitchy too. Yeah. So twitch as much as you, I mean, I get it. Yeah. It's, I it's appreciate okay. that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I saw the Lyme specialist. Him and his office were very compassionate doctors, um, and they agreed to do certain tests that I hadn't had before. These, this doctor and his staff were so compassionate, and they took the time to hear me and hear my experience about having that bullseye rash when I was a kid, and mm. I told them my struggle. I mean, at that point, I was in the wheelchair, so they saw there was definitely something going on with me. Yeah. Um, they agreed to do some testing, um, and 
they said from their opinion, it looked like it could be Lyme disease, but they wanted to test to make sure. Um, very early on in my time seeing them, they took my photo and they said, we want you to be able to look back on this um, because we're hoping to help you get to the best shape of your life. Just, you know, they were really positive and empowering people. And um, the test results came back positive. I was diagnosed with late stage Lyme disease and I just started sobbing because I had tried to be hurt for so many years. It just meant the world. They ended up telling me that IV antibiotics were the best option for me because I have had this infection in my body for so long, for over 20 years. So a long time. Um, unfortunately, and you may be aware of this. I don't know if you did IV antibiotics when you treated or what? No, I did oral. Okay. I did two okay. oral antibiotics for a year. So what he had said to me is that the IV antibiotics can get to your heart and parts of your body that the oral is not able to mm -hmm. when you're treating Lyme disease. And so he really thought that was important because it was just, I was just really struggling. Unfortunately, with the insurance, I believe the insurance only covers the first 30 days of that, if I remember right. But again, I was at my worst. So mm -hmm. um, we had to fundraise. We had to find some way to make it happen. But the IV antibiotics was about $1,000 a week. Wow to do. And I had to do that for about nine months straight. Wow. Oh, it was, that's so intense. it was really intense. And, um, that whole experience of talking to the insurance and negotiating with the people who were mailing us the antibiotics, the process where we had to check in to make sure it would arrive at the right time because they would be mailing the antibiotic. I don't know what the things are. It's like a liquid thing in a round ball shape mm. connected to a tube. Anyway, um, that was, it took so much work all by itself just to orchestrate everything coming to us on time and the deliveries. And um, I had a pick line installed in my arm. Mm. If you guys listening haven't heard of that, that is a basically a tube that goes in the, uh, the place above your heart. I think it's the main artery. Does that sound right? Or do you know? I'm not sure, but I, I, oh, I trust you. Yeah. Okay. So it goes in your arm and up to like right about here at the tube. Right in your chest. And so the yeah. medication wow. goes right above where your heart is. Okay. That makes sense. And it's a sur like kind of a outpatient surgery thing mm -hmm. to get it installed. So um, you don't have to, you know, jab a needle into your arm. You have like a port that you can connect yeah, the medication yeah, to. Yeah. It's like yeah. an open uh, port sort of thing in your arm yeah. area that, uh, you connect a long tube to that and the ball that has the medication in it. And I think the treatment took about an hour and I did that twice a day where you connect it to the <laughs> thing in my arm. Um, you must have felt awful when you started doing that. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't glamorous either. It was, yeah. you have to wear a uh, sleeve around your um, area and you can't take a shower. Like, mm. I spent almost a year washing my hair in the sink, in the kitchen <laughs> sink. Yeah, because you can't get the area wet at all. Yeah, um, fascinating. Yeah. Um, so we also had to hire home health care for that. And they would come every week to our house and change the dressing of that. 
I ended up having an allergic reaction to the pick line itself. Um, so I had my arm was just bleeding and, and sorry, I don't want to get too graphic here, but <laughs> it was just blistered and, and a mess. Um, I ended up having to get one installed in the other arm. And I have a story for you if you're up for it yeah. about, about doctors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So when I got my pick line installed the second time in the other arm, it's a, it's a kind of surgery, but it's, you're awake during the whole time. And it's not, a, it's not considered a major surgery or anything, but um, they basically put the tube in your arm, right? And it goes up to right above your heart through the veins. And there is a monitor like in the room where you can see where the tube is in your arm and everything. One of the, the people helping with that surgery, he was this older guy with white hair and a mustache. And he asked me, what are we treating you for? What, what illness do you have that we're treating for? And I said, Lyme disease. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Lyme disease. Oh, maybe I have that too. I forgot my paperwork over here. And he just laughed at me. Wow. And I looked at him. <laughs> there not- were about seven people in the room. And I was laying on the table and I looked at him and I said, thank you guys so much for helping me. This means so much. I can walk again. And it means so much. That guy got so quiet. (laughs) And another guy said, you just got owned. And the rest (laughs) of the room was just like quiet after that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what an awkward moment. (laughs) It was really awkward. Yeah, it it was, and it shouldn't have happened. I love your response to it, though, because like that's not what you want to hear from your doctor in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but your response is is very mature and kind of points out what what he did that was maybe a little insensitive without actually having to say it, which is really nice. Yeah, and and that just brings to mind. I think these doctors, when you see them. They just see a brief moment in your life. Hmm. They don't see the day in and the day out of your struggle. And so it is really hard to be heard when they when they don't know yeah. everything. And that experience really taught me to trust myself and to know that this man, I can forgive him for what he said. He didn't know that I couldn't walk before that. Mm-hmm. He didn't know everything. But um, I've tried to apply that when I try to forgive my past doctors for misdiagnosing me, for not listening. I try to forgive that and just focus that, okay, they only saw me for 10 minutes or 20 minutes. They don't know. So you treated IV antibiotics for nine months. Yeah. And how did you feel after that? I mean, I know that when you first take antibiotics for Lyme disease, there's something called like a I think it's a cytokine reaction or a cytokine flare-up, something like that, where like your body, as the the Lyme disease itself, as the bacteria starts to break apart, it makes you feel awful. Um, (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. But then as that starts to clear out of your body, you start to feel better. So, what was that process like? How long did it take to start to feel better? Yes. So there is something called a Herx reaction. That's the one. That's what I'm, yeah. I said the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, it might be also the right thing. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not My memory term, is but. also very fuzzy, but that's the one. Yeah. The, the Herx reaction. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. So when you are fighting infection, and this is true for so many infections, 
um, there are toxins that release in your bloodstream that make you feel really crappy. This is why women before their period get horrible headaches. There's just so many toxins and their hormones levels are weird and everything. Um, this is why the lymphatic system, I don't know if you're familiar with lymphatic massages that people do, helps release the toxins that just make you feel awful. So when you're fighting Lyme disease, there are tiny little creatures called spirochetes in your bloodstream all over your body. And they look like tiny little uh, squiggly lines and um, they're not cute, but if you saw a picture of them, you could try to imagine them being cute. But anyway, they're basically <laughs> tiny creatures that are in your bloodstream and they're trying to thrive and they don't want to die. <laughs> and so when you treat Lyme disease, it's basically like, they're all like, no, I'm melting, I'm melting. You know, like <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the West, kind of like they're just like all miserable and um, writhing in pain. I mean, that's how I imagine it is mm. like the Wicked Witch of the West. You know what I'm talking about when totally. she's melting? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but imagine that. But it's like hundreds of them are in your bloodstream. And when you are taking a treatment like antibiotics that's fighting that, it makes them suffer and it ends up releasing a lot of toxins in your body at once, like a ton of them at once, because right. they all, a lot of die off all at once. And so, yes, um, herxing can mean you will have a severe headache. It can mean you'll have severe swelling in your face and neck. It could be a number of things. Um, it might mean you'll feel more fatigued. Um, yeah, it's, oh, it's a really overwhelming, uncomfortable feeling. For anyone who hasn't had Lyme disease, if you can picture when you've had the flu and you know when your body aches all over and you're, you're just miserable, um, like right when you're getting the flu, it's kind of like that feeling, but you get that several times a week or yeah, whenever you're successfully killing bacteria, you go through that. But you're going through that on and off for like months when you're doing this on and off for years for years oh wow yes yes i actually had lost so much weight from treating uh Lyme disease i i can't even tell you i uh, so you did the nine so the nine months iv did you have to do oral antibiotics after that or, or were you done yes with, okay and then you yes. kept having this herx reaction every time you'd go on antibiotics yes gotcha. um there were two th two allergy things that happened with the IV antibiotics. There was the first antibiotic I was put on. I think it was called ceftriaxone. I ended up um, looking like I had chicken pox. I, I had like little pink spots all over me. Um, and so they put me on a different antibiotic that was called doxycycline. Um, but during the process, when I had that pick line, I told you guys about how I had that reaction and had to get a separate pick line installed. Mm -hmm. It actually ended up being chloroprep, the uh, solution they use to keep, you know how they have like on a port or a pick line, they have that giant sticker looking, it's like a clear plastic mm -hmm. thing that goes over your wound area, over the bandage to protect right. it, right. to keep it dry. I turned out to be allergic to the adhesive oh, stuff. No. So um, towards the end there, I was in pretty rough shape. I had, um, because I ended up being allergic to the adhesive and the chloroprep after being on it a long time. And I had like, my arm looked like a war zone. It was like blistered and a mess. Um, 
they wrapped me in gauze, uh, fresh gauze every day. Uh, so I looked like I had like been a ninja or I don't know how to, <laughs> like I, like, a mummy. I joked about, yeah, like a mummy. So I did the oral antibiotics. I also did a number of supplements. I did over, let's see, it was 40 different supplements, not all at the same time, but it all really gets expensive, everything. Yeah, no kidding. And during that whole time, I learned how to advocate for myself more than I did before. Because when you're dealing with insurance situations and they um, are hesitant to support chronic Lyme disease, because there's so much controversy about that, mm -hmm. um, you really learn to find your voice and to know what you need and speak up for yourself like on a constant basis. Um, I also did cemento bandrol. Uh, which was like little dropper bottles. I don't know if you've heard of that supplement. I no. It's like a herb. And I remember you put like 40 drops. I'm not going to say the dosage because I don't remember. I don't want people to try this, but <laughs> you put an amount of drops in a little glass with water and then you drink it in little shot glass. And that also, that's a more natural way that will fight uh, the Lyme infection. Um but again, everything you're doing to help yourself when you're fighting Lyme is making you feel really awful. Mm -hmm. It is. And you just have to hope day by day that it gets better in the end. Um, the other huge uh, thing that we did for my treatment is my doctor recommended hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Wow. Yes. This I know nothing about. I'm, I'm curious. Tell me about it. Okay. So... It's that, if you can see that big blue machine back there. Yeah. I know our listeners can't see it, but I can see this. Oh, yeah. Like our long, listeners can't see it. This like blue, um, it almost looks like a punching bag on its side, but it's like <laughs> the size of a, of a body. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's big enough to fit two people in there. Oh, wow. Actually, yeah. There's an oxygen machine behind me, um, an oxygen concentrator. And what it does is you you um, go into this chamber, this hyperbaric chamber, and they seal it. In my case, I have one that has zippers on it. And then you are putting in air and oxygen into there. And what happens is it is forcing oxygen into your body, into your cells, and into your brain. Mm -hmm. And I found profound healing in my ability to read after doing that treatment. Wow. I found profound cognitive abilities come back after doing that treatment because it's forcing oxygen to go into your brain where it hasn't gotten have enough for a very long time. Wow. So I'm happy to message you a link about it if you're curious or I yeah, can send yeah. you a closer picture of it. But please do. Um so when I um, when my doctor recommended me to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy, this is for any of you guys thinking about doing it, or maybe you think it could be the right fit for you. Um, my doctor does have that in his office, but the cost to use it in the office is around, I think, $300 an hour for many offices. Mm -hmm. And the treatment he wanted me to do was every day, an hour at full pressure every day. So... Basically, when that machine is running, 
it inflates with air. It's like a giant balloon thing that looks kind of like a time machine. It's kind of funny. <laughs> cool. um, but my doctor was so kind. He said, honestly, Emily, I think you are better off economically if you just buy one for your home. So I would like to prescribe you one if you're able to get one for your home because you could benefit long-term if you own one. So guys, if you can imagine having a time machine looking thing in your living room <laughs> that makes all the guests who come over just go, what is that? <laughs> like it is this giant cylinder shaped thing that fills with air. You crawl in there, there's a mattress and a pillow inside with an oxygen mask that you wear. And the chamber fills with air and that Right now, I have one of those behind my couch in my living room. Wow. And how long? So you sit in there for an hour. You were sitting in for an hour every day. How long? How often do you use it now? So I did it today. I did it this morning. Technically, I love doing it twice a day. It makes a huge difference in my energy levels and my ability to function cognitively. Um, but so... On average, I do it about 90 minutes every single day. Wow. This last week, I am a bit behind on it because we've had a crazy week. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So my doctor, though, prescribed me at the time, he prescribed me to do an hour at full pressure every day. So it's about a total of 90 minutes each day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing, you did your IV, then you did your oral antibiotics plus this hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And then- yes. How, how long was your Lyme treatment total before you went into remission? So, let's see. I think I officially started treatment in 2015. I officially got told I have remission in January of 2020. Wow. Five years. Five years. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> yes. Um, but you've now, had this infection for your for most of your life so yes. like getting that out of your body is an incredibly complicated situation very complicated um i also you know the the day that i was told i have remission is actually was actually at an appointment meant for my adoption i am in the process of adopting a child and part of that is you have to do a physical so you you get a lot of blood work and all of that. And um, the timing just happened to be the same day I was told I have remission from wow. this thing that has haunted me my whole life or most of my life. <laughs> yeah. So was it a gradual process of feeling better throughout those five years? Like when, wh what were the milestones of, of realizing you were um, recovering? So I feel like each different treatment seemed to help something come back, a part of myself come back that I didn't get to have for a long time. Um, when I did the antibiotics, I stopped having severe pain in my body and in my feet, particularly. Now, my feet were so swollen, I could not wear regular shoes for about three years straight. They were so swollen. Um, and I, I really feel for anybody else who has to go through that challenge, it, you know, it is rough. Um, but somewhere after, I would say it was probably after about seven months of doing the IV antibiotics, um, I regained my ability to walk freely and without pain. And I remember 
one of the first things I did was I ran at the beach and I was sobbing and I, there were like seagulls around me. and I was just running <laughs> and spinning around, you know, like the lady and the sound of music. I, I had that moment <laughs> um, because I did the oxygen therapy. Oh, I haven't mentioned to you guys yet. I, how I have pot syndrome, which involves not getting enough oxygen to your brain. I'm happy yeah. to talk about that if you want to. But yeah, yeah, that's one of the, you mentioned a few other things in, with, in the beginning, and that was one I wanted to ask you about. Um, so pot syndrome uh, is where you don't have enough oxygen going to your brain, um, particularly when you stand up. And so if you were standing in line at the store or at Disneyland or something, and you get really dizzy. Um, that was my experience. A lot of the time, I believe it also contributed to my severe uh, lethargic feeling, mm -hmm. um, just fatigued, and I just felt dizzy and tired like all the time. Um, so when I did hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is a treatment that actually gets oxygen to your brain, my world opened. Hmm. I didn't feel dizzy. When I got out of the chamber, I felt like the Energizer Bunny. You know, <laughs> you charge your battery and then I could go for 10 hours. I, I, it was incredible. I, I didn't feel dizzy. I didn't feel like I needed to faint inside of the bookstore. Um, I didn't need to find a chair, you know, at Walmart when I was just trying to buy groceries or something. And also when I did the oxygen therapy, it took, it's a gradual process. It's not going to be an overnight change. But after the first few months, I started feeling my memory issue was so much better. And I believe that oxygen and the antibiotics contributed to my memory problem recovering because I have a really good memory now. And also my ability to read. I finally got to read a book and not struggle. I finally got to realize that I actually love reading. And this is the first time I got to enjoy that as an adult. I never got to have that as a high schooler and certainly never before I would, you know, after I was 11 years old. And so that was a really emotional experience to have that back because I felt like I was out of my own body. I felt like I was a different person. Wow. I really think that people listening, whatever you're going through, you might have people in your life, maybe that are close to you who don't understand, but, but don't give up on yourself because you are so important. And yeah, I just, anyway, I'm getting all like over here, but, no, this is so, it's very powerful. I mean, you know, you're talking about the thing that I fantasize about, which is that feeling of like things coming back instead of things going away. And like, I'm really, I was an avid reader and I'm really struggling to read right now. Like I can't. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. I can't yeah. like process or, um, it, it like hurts. It hurts my brain to try to focus on the words, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I totally. I'm with you there. I totally relate to what you're saying about, you know, the emotionality of being able to do these things again. And it's, it's so important to recognize that 
that that the body is complicated and diagnosing something that is hidden is really really difficult and sometimes it takes 20 years sometimes it takes longer you know yeah. um and you just got to hang in there you got to keep trying you got to keep advocating for yourself because you might find something that works. You might discover that you just need to install a time machine in your living room and hop into it and pump yourself full of oxygen every day and you can feel better. Yeah. You know, like that's something I've never tried. I've never even <laughs> knew that that was possible until this conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm so glad that you're sharing all this because the whole purpose of this podcast is to give people new ideas and you're doing it for me today, you know, like you're giving thank me you. things I'm to think about and, tr and, and ponder over, you know, R reasons to have hope for the future because you really don't know what's going to happen. If you are undiagnosed, you still might get diagnosed someday. Or if you're misdiagnosed or if doctor's telling you that there's nothing there, like, yeah. hold on to that feeling that you have that that you know that that there's something going on and that there is something medical happening. And if you keep pushing, you might find a compassionate doctor that can help you. I mean, your story is, is so important. And it's, it's exactly the type of story that I want to highlight because it's giving me hope, you know, it's like, this is what I need too, is to keep that hope alive that I can still find that diagnosis. Thank you so much. I feel so grateful. You know, I've always wanted to tell my story, but on my own, like on a camera, I just get nervous or shy. So the, your podcast, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. You're doing amazing. Um, wow. So what? So you get your life back. You you get your functionality back. Well, how, not, how do you go about like going back to life? You know. <laughs> so so it's not just getting my life back. I hope you guys can understand. If it's like having something you never had. It's having something you never had in your life. The other thing that I regained with doing hyperbaric therapy was I can control my face again and I can smile for photos. Wow. And um, I don't think unless somebody has gone through it personally, they won't understand how much that means to me. But I actually one day I was brushing my teeth and I smiled. And I realized that was my first time as an adult that I had that moment where I could smile in the mirror while I'm brushing my teeth. Wow. <laughs> it was incredible. That's but beautiful. I believe that somehow, as much as I don't understand about all the intricacies of this, I believe somehow having more oxygen in my brain impacted my smiling and my ability to control my face. Wow. And um, so it really has been, I would even say that I've really, I've had about four and a half years that are mostly really good. Wow. That's um, amazing. That's such a I, gift. It has been literally like almost feels like recreating my identity hmm. or, or finding myself for the first time, because a lot of what I'm able to do today, I never had the chance to even try to do it. Yeah. So it's like, it's this weird feeling of you don't recognize yourself because you never saw yourself being able to do that. I really contribute treating mental health as a huge part of what helped me to recover. Um, because, I mean, in my experience, I had PTSD where I have it. Um, a lot of that comes from the way I was treated as someone with this undiagnosed illness. Wow. Um, Yes, yeah, so 
I, this is, I was actually going to ask you about this because you mentioned PTSD in the beginning of the episode. And as you were describing the way that doctors treated you, I yeah. was going to ask, is, is this related to your PTSD, just being sort of gaslit by doctors your whole life? Because that is traumatic. Yes, um, it is very much related. Um, I, I've had a lot of trauma in my life that's unrelated to that. Mm. But um, I would say a big part of it was being gaslit by my family. Uh, oh, wow. You know, mm. just the experience as a kid trying to thrive in school and I couldn't physically thrive in school and being told that I was lazy mm. and yeah, it's a lot to recover from. Oh, it's just, I feel it in my heart, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, you don't have a choice. It's you, no one would choose this, you know? Yeah. Nobody would choose it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'll always be sad for, it kind of feels like missing out on years of livelihood not just from being made fun of for having the challenge, but from what you, the abilities you've lost because you have the challenge. And that is why as a person in her thirties, like I am just trying everything I can. Like I, I, after the pandemic began, I started taking like dance classes <laughs> online. <laughs> I just have so much joy in life. Just mm. any little thing to have joy and creativity and I I hold on to that because that brings me happiness. I feel like that reconnects with, with who I am. Um, but I would say like for anyone going through chronic illness, I imagine you two have had that experience of people in your life who haven't heard what, what you needed them to hear. And so I highly recommend seeing therapists. Uh, like mm -hmm. if you find a therapist you like, who gets you really invest in that because that positive energy, um, your emotions strongly impact your, how strong your immune system is. It strongly does. It's a huge part of it. And, and so I would say whatever you're treating right now and trying to find relief from also treat your mental health and really take care of yourself because you deserve that. It might mean paying somebody to listen, but, but you might realize when that person listens, how valid you really are, you yeah. know? I 100% I agree. I feel like yeah. it's crucial to be addressing mental health. Absolutely crucial. And it's so hard yeah. because doctors are always telling you they can't help you um, and that you need to seek mental health treatment because th there's no medical option. And that is so hurtful and harmful and inaccurate so much of the time um, that it makes it really hard to seek mental health treatment because you get this chip on your shoulder about it. I know I did. Yeah. I, and people, there's such a stigma, you know, yeah. I feel like um, people think that that's some people out there think that's a license not to listen to you. Mm -hmm. If you have a mental health condition for me, my mental health condition was caused by how people treated me in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's the you problem. Know, it it's wasn't me. It's not, you know, it's yeah. not who I am. It's just what they did to me. So, yeah, I, I hundred percent think when you have the, in those moments, when you have those people who don't want to listen or don't understand, they're not going to be with you when you're out there living your best life someday. Don't give up on fighting for your answers that you need, that you know yourself, you need that. And, and the right people will be there 
Yeah. And no matter how many people tell you that they can't help you, you still deserve it. You know, if a doctor ever tells me that, it doesn't mean anything about me. It just means that my relationship with this doctor is not going to go anywhere and there's no use in pursuing it. Um, Right. Like not all doctors are worth seeing. Like not all therapists are worth seeing. If you see, I've seen some therapists who said nothing. They just literally sat there silent the entire time. And I just talked to fill the void and I got nothing out of that. Um, But I, I have a great therapist now who does a really good job of reframing what I'm saying um, and like saying it back to me in a way that really helps. It's like hearing someone else tell me what I'm going through. I'm like, yes, totally. And then (laughs) they're able to offer some guidance, you know, because I see a therapist who specializes in chronic pain. So Mm -hmm. that's how I found this person. So that's amazing. yeah. Yeah. So they have like a lot of tools that they can offer me or ways to reshape what I'm experiencing or think about it differently. And, and like I was saying earlier, you know, being in chronic pain and being unhappy don't have to be exclusive to each other. You know, you can be happy and be in chronic pain. It's 100% possible. It's not possible all the time. You're not going to be happy all day, every day, but nobody is, you know, there's nobody in the world who's always happy. Those people are lying to themselves. So yeah, just being yeah. forgiving with yourself is so important. And, and sometimes it means smiling through pain. Like yeah. I had this day where I got the chance to film with Andre Agassi. Oh, wow. And I was really struggling to walk that day. He doesn't know about this, but I was really struggling with pain that day. And yet I gave it my all. And I just was like, I have to make this work because I'll never get this chance again. Like, it's yeah. awesome. And I did it. But you, you know, when you were, when you have something taken away, I'll say this again, when you have something taken away, um, an ability taken away from you, don't let that make you lose who you are because the world needs you so much. Like now more than ever, I really think the whole world has been staying at home. So, and, and now more than ever, it's accessible to get your voice out there to be heard. And how amazing is it? I know, I know the pandemic has just messed so many things up for people, but how amazing is it that immunocompromised people are at the center of attention? Yeah, totally. And this is our chance. This is our chance to be heard. And, you know, I have a feeling if we can all get through this time, I really have a feeling that moving forward, immunocompromised people might have a stronger voice in the world. Mm, uh, wow. and, and maybe a revolution could happen where doctors will take us more seriously. I really hope so. Amazing. Because we are getting just so many people affected with, you know, with that at the forefront of their minds. Like, how could we not want things to be better and to change? And yeah, yeah. So I love that. Were there any more um, milestone moments of you regaining things we started talking about that and we got into some other really important stuff but i'd love to hear more oh yeah so that's one thing i haven't recovered is my ability to be focused (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) still working on that um yes okay so things i am able to do now i can walk with no pain wow i started biking Mm. when i regained my walking because at that point, the muscle in my leg had completely atrophied. Three years of just really struggling. I'm, I'm sure you can relate with that. It's, it's yeah. hard. It's a lot to get back. Yeah. Um, so 
I found the cheapest bike I could find on Amazon. I think it was like $150. And I started pedaling a little bit every day. Then I would do a little bit more the next day and gradually building up strength. Each day I did that, when I would pass a mile, I wrote it down. I've been tracking it on my phone uh, on a little app thing just for myself, like just because every day I do a little bit more, even if I can only bike for 10 minutes on that day physically, it's a little closer to a goal. And I just get excited about it because I didn't get to do that at one point. Well, this year I passed 2000 miles wow. on my bicycle, just my little cheap home bicycle. I don't have like a, a fancy bike to go out on the street or anything. Um, but that brought joy. That really brought so much joy. And I celebrated that. Um, just seeing the number 2000 miles mm. on my phone just made my heart happy. So I can do that. Um, since the pandemic began, I signed up for that Apple fitness thing and I started the dance, <laughs> dance things. And I've been dancing every day uh, for 30 minutes. And that has been something that's helped my emotions as well, just to feel positive. Because I think if I had a different life looking back, I think I'd be a choreographer. I love it so much. It just brings me so much joy. I no longer have seizures for about four years now. Wow. I used to have them towards the end of my, real, when I was at my lowest, I was having them every single day where I felt like I was being shocked, like with electricity in my body. I no longer have that. My memory is really good. I don't have to write it down if I'm like, like suppose I made a password to uh, like a website or something. I don't have to write it down. I can retain that information an hour later and know what word I picked. And I can enjoy reading for the first time in my life. And I celebrated that and I bought a Kindle and I downloaded some books. I downloaded a Jane Austen book and like a C.S. Lewis book. And, and being able to process the information on the page and read was profoundly emotional for me. Now, one thing I want to mention is my sensory issues. Those are still a challenge sometimes. I do have auditory issues. So if there's a lot of noise in the area at once, I really struggle and also with textures. Um, so I had to make the choice. I can't like enjoy a normal book if the pages are dry and like the texture is just too distracting. But on a screen where I'm tapping the screen to turn the page, that I can manage. Yeah. And I can do my big toothy smiles on command. <laughs> and that is like a weird feeling because that is literally a facial expression I never saw myself make as an adult until just a few years ago. Wow. And so it's like this weird feeling like you're looking at somebody else's face. It's strange. And my energy is pretty good now. It does better if I keep up with the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, I do have like, like if I have a big day where like we're going to a Disneyland all day or something like that, I have a profoundly better level of energy longer in the day when I do oxygen therapy. Mm -hmm. um, it really is, do you know the Energizer Bunny? Yeah. 
how when you're charging a battery, you put it on the little thing and you charge it and then you're, you're good to go for a while, but then you run out of energy. Yeah. You run, the battery runs out of energy and you have to recharge it. It's similar to that when I do my hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yeah, interesting. Um, but I also believe it provided overall healing for me. Um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is also used for military veterans who have PTSD because it has a profoundly calming effect. Hmm. And it also is used by many athletes um, when they have a sports injury, because when you have more oxygen in your body, it helps wounds heal faster. One person you guys might be familiar with who does hyperbaric therapy is Justin Bieber. He also <laughs> has Lyme disease and he does it too. So I was so encouraged to see he's able to do that as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. He mentions it in his documentary, I think came out a year or two ago. Yeah. Mm. Um, wow. So that, that's a lot. I, can I, I just have to take a moment to say that to everyone listening who may be feeling jealous <laughs> oh, because I'm so sorry. I, Oh no, no, no. I don't want you to apologize at all. I, I love what you're sharing. I am having some pangs of jealousy and I, I just want to acknowledge it because you're experiencing what I really want. But I also want to acknowledge that you had a 20 year journey and you know, I, my journey has, was off and on for a long time. And I've been looking for a diagnosis for, for like 10, 10 to 12 years at this point. Um, but I have had an off and on journey and it's not like yeah. my life has not happened in the meantime. Like I had some really good years in there, you know? Um, and I had some, like your, your journey is so different from mine. And I always tell people like, don't compare, uh, one major pain to another. And yeah. I'm, I'm just in this moment, reminding myself of that because you've been through so much and I want to be here and celebrate your successes. And it's really hard not to compare it to my own journey, you know? And, yeah, but that's, you know, that's not the point in this moment. The point is for you to have this chance to share and to anyone yeah. listening who might be feel, feeling, you know, oh, this is hard to listen to because I want these things. Just the whole point of this is that, you know, Emily, you didn't know that you could have these things and then they happened for I didn't, you. I yeah. didn't think and I would ever. And that's the whole point is to hang on yeah. because these things are possible and you just never know. And I just want to acknowledge that and, you know, say that like if you're feeling like I'm having some mo some small pangs of jealousy here and I just want to. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't want you to, you, you know, do not owe me an apology for that. Like um, you, you're doing such a great job of sharing your story and you've been through so much. And for you to be able to get out there and share that you've done it is so powerful. And I'm so happy for you. And I want that you. for you, you know, and Thank that's you. much more important than my feelings of like, wow, I wish I could have that too. Cause this isn't about me. This is about you. But, and it's just, well, I have to remind myself of that. Cause it's hard, you know, it's, I, I uh, want yeah. to go biking. I think about it all the time. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's hard. Cause I know we each have our own journey and, I just want you to know, even though I just met you, I would be honored to be your friend, to just be one of your friends in your circle that believes in you as oh, you wow, try you. to get answers. Like, because mm, when I saw you- really your, feels good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would be so honored to be one of your cheerleading friends. You know what I mean? Oh, thank like, you just so much. Because I really, I believe you. I know we've never met before, but I saw your TikTok. I know you're really, really dealing with something. And- and having gone through that personally, like 
yeah, how could I not want to be there when, when I meet other people who have it too, like how, who have that or trying to find answers. Like, so yeah, just consider like, I, I really you. support you in your journey as you find out what's going on. And yeah, you know, yeah. we don't hear that. We don't hear people say, I believe you very often. And it really feels good. <laughs> yeah. It like, I really appreciate that. And I, I have this nervousness, like, what if I find a diagnosis and get better and still want to make this show, you know, like, and all of a sudden I'm the person who's like, I'm out biking and running and jogging. Like, is that going to make it so the show doesn't work anymore? And I hope not yeah. because like, well, I, I will have always gone through this experience of being chronically ill, you know, and I, I might yeah. be chronically ill for the rest of my life. I might get a diagnosis next week. I, I really don't know. And I feel like this is, it's tough when you're part of a community because of something that's, that's, broken if you can fix it you are still a part of the community you know like you because the the community is the experience of having lived it and you yeah no one can ever deny that you lived it and you are still living it you know you've gotten so much better you're in remission but there are still pieces of it like we haven't even you mentioned Hashimoto's disease at the beginning we haven't even talked about that oh yeah yeah so, so yeah yeah I can I can get into that um I just want to say for anyone else going through chronic illness, you included, I think it is so powerful when we come together and share our stories and um, believe in each other's experiences and, and be supportive because mm -hmm. someone who hasn't personally been through it might not know how to be the support that you need. And, yeah. and so um, in that specific way, so any chance if any of you guys out there decide to start YouTube or, or share your voice in some other way, I think that would be so meaningful. And that, yeah, just to have that community, I think would totally. be really cool. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about this Hashimoto's thing. I'm, I'm, I know we're like, we've, we're already at a, like an hour and a half and we've talked about a lot, but I'm just a little curious, you know, what, what's the basics of that? Yeah. So I am diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, but honestly, my, um, my bandwidth for being able to treat everything has been pretty spread thin. So mm. I haven't explored all the details of what that means. Yeah. I can say that um, because of Hashimoto's, I get swelling in my face and neck. And um, particularly when I eat certain foods, and that is a really annoying challenge. Mm. Um, I also went through some weight gain suddenly, and I was told that's connected to that. But uh, yeah, I think... That is not something I can give advice on because I really don't know much about yeah. it. I really this don't. This is a yeah. autoimmune thyroid disorder, right? Yeah. 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 We just it's spoke with, with Mac with a couple of weeks ago who's okay. undiagnosed with thyroid issues and Hashimoto's is one of the things that they're looking at. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you're yeah. still going through stuff. And then also, I still, yeah, does, I might sound positive, but I, yeah, I, the struggle is still very real. Yeah. I still can't eat many normal foods. I have to do gluten free, you know? Yeah. So it is still a lot of work. But what's beautiful about your story is the gratitude that you've developed for, for anything that is normal, you know, anything, quote unquote yeah. normal. I hate using anything. that word because it's different for everyone, but all the things that you've regained, you have so much gratitude, so much joy for all these small things. The thing I wanted to draw, pull back to was how important holding on to hope and positivity is for your immune system to be strong. And I feel like, um, is it okay to mention the doom scrolling going on right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <to> <laughs> <laughs> doom scrolling is tough because I think anyone with a chronic illness is going to 
start searching their illness. And oftentimes yes. you will find just like the most extreme versions of, of what could happen, but might not have anything to do with your body. Uh, yeah. And I've also spent a lot of time doom scrolling about potential diagnoses that didn't pan out. So I spent a lot of time, you know, th in those moments you're like living in fear. So I've kind yeah. of learned that it is better to, for me, it is better to wait until something is definitive to really go down those rabbit holes. Like I want to be very knowledgeable about whatever disease I have, but until I know what it is, what's the point in, in like, in doom scrolling. And I feel like, Going online these days is doom scrolling just by being there. Like you go on Facebook yeah. and it's just, this is all the horrible stuff that's happening. It's yeah. really overwhelming. It's really important to disconnect from that. Like the way that social media and just the news and media in general is presented is so sensationalistic that yeah. it, it's sort of disconnected from reality and it can be dangerous to live in that space for too long. Yeah. It's um, very concerning to me. I, I really value time where you can feel positive in your day. And so I personally find positivity when I watch a makeup video on YouTube. Mm. But lately, I got to say for the last couple of years or almost two years now, um, it's very rare to find even a, a YouTube funny video or makeup video that does not mention the current climate we're in with the pandemic. And so I found it very, actually very triggering um, for mm. my PTSD as well, just like, Oh man, I want to find this calm space. Mm. Um, I really encourage you guys to find that time, find at least an hour in your day if you can to meditate, to listen to peaceful music, to escape a little bit, and maybe use time that you normally use on social media to scroll, to doom scroll, or to find out the latest news. Maybe take that time and just take care of yourself because you are actually helping save lives when you protect your immune system. Like, I cannot tell you how harmful stress and um, a poor mental health can be on your immune system being strong enough to fight infection. It has a dramatic impact. And so if anything could save the world, like I kind of feel like we could all go without internet for a day and just <laughs> meditate and, and refresh. I mean, everything's still going to be going on, you know, whether you read it or not, but I, it, you got to help save your health. Yeah. That's so yeah. true. This has so. been an amazing conversation. You've shared so much and so much of it is so powerful and so um, important and so inspiring. I mean, wow. Like this is, I'm so, I'm just always so glad I'm doing this show, you know, like every conversation I have on this show I feel so much, <laughs> but your I definitely show, felt it today for sure. Your show is really so cool. Like oh, I you. was listening to a couple episodes and I just was like, oh, and you're into Star Trek. So into I, Star I heard Trek. you mentioned Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I am too. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, I, I'm a huge Trekkie. Yeah. My other TikTok, um, which is just at Jesse Mercury, I'm green screening myself into every episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. That and is amazing. I had one get like 840,000 views, which was Whoa. very exciting. It's That's just amazing. Me rolling in a hover chair down the hallways of the Enterprise D. <laughs> I used to have the biggest crush on Data when I was a kid. <laughs> My latest episode is me asking Data out on a date. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you, if you guys could ever collaborate, I think that would be so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be incredible. Or the doctor from Voyager. Oh yeah. Have you I, seen his short comedy? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I, does, I just heard he's him got on a YouTube podcast. Now. He's doing TikTok now, I think, but yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. The doctor from next generation Gates McFadden started a podcast and she interviewed him on it and he was talking about that. Um, it's called <laughs> investigates. Awesome. It's really good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would love for you to to share your platform while you're here. Like, tell us about your TikTok and your YouTube. Plug anything you want. Please feel free. Yes. So, I do makeup and tea live streams, and I also do tech videos. I, I started getting into doing YouTube. I'm still in the process of, like, fully acclimating to that because with the adoption, there's so much going on. But my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Emily Cleed. And I'm also at Emily Cleed on Instagram. And I would be so honored to meet some of you guys and maybe collaborate one day. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. And Cleed is uh, C-L-E-D-E. Yeah. And my TikTok account is uh, at Tea Time with Emily. Nice. Yeah. Well, people should look you up. I, I really, I'm just so impressed with everything you're doing and I really relate to your um, channeling of your, you know, channeling of this energy into creativity to find joy in your life. I, I tell people to do that all the time. I really believe in that. It's really worked for me. It's really helped me a lot. And I'm so glad to see that you're doing it as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to meet you. And um, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sonny Roberts, and Laura Stevens, and our $25 per month producer, Steve Cavanaugh. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.